0: Well, Merry Christmas. Aren't you glad you did not miss this day together with the people of God? Already God has blessed us and spoken to us. I won't sing the song on the first day of Christmas my true love gave to me, but I'll tell you the story of that song. The ancient Western church would begin Advent four Sundays before Christmas. We still do that as well, but they began a time of moving away from any distractions, a time of fasting, a time of not gathering in public together. They wanted not only to celebrate Christmas, they wanted to feel the story of Christmas, and each day as they March towards Christmas Day, their longing would grow, their feeling of aloneness would strengthen and take over, their sense of hopelessness or helplessness would all lead to a moment on Christmas Day where they would gather in celebration and be reminded that they're not alone and they're they're not without hope not only do they have a family, they have a father. And that father is a father who's come to dwell with them. Then they would begin for 12 days, they would give presents. That's where the 12 days of Christmas come from. You see, gifts grow out of the celebrated heart that celebrates the story. And it's not once upon a time, and it's not in a galaxy far, far away. We read there in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters That we might receive the Holy Spirit that cries out in our hearts and teaches us to say, Father, Abba, Father, and points us not to our emptiness but to our fullness that we are the heirs of God. That's the story. It's the story of a plot It's a story that has characters, but it's a story about the author of the story. The author of the story is our father. Andy Crouch, in his book, Culture Making, talks about culture is what helps us make sense out of the world, and culture is what we make of the world. But he says in the book, you can't understand culture or your culture Without a story, without a meta-story, without a story, you can't make sense of your life. Without a story, you don't know what to make of your life. Well, the gospel is our story, and it's our story about God. Isn't it interesting that over two-thirds of the Bible is simply stories, hundreds of stories, Forty percent of the New Testament, two-thirds of the whole Bible, are stories. Now, there's plenty of poetry and discourse, but the Bible is dominated by a narrative. And that narrative has cohesion and unity. It speaks of one message. Think of all the questions that we ask about this world. How did we arrive here? What went wrong with the world? What's wrong with me? Can the world be made right? Can I be made right? Is there any hope that would tell us that in the future things might be better? Those are questions that every heart wonders. You can't make sense out of the stories and questions that permeate our society without a meta story. Now, there's four acts in that meta story. Creation, God had a plan for us. The fall, we rejected God's plan. Redemption, God came for us. And then restoration, He will put everything back together again. The story of the Gospel is the story of God who rescues sinners. Now this text here tells us a lot about God. Don't you find it interesting that in the book of Galatians, many people believe that if they just could keep one more rule or if they kept all the rules, their life could be put back together. And Paul writes the letter to remind them that Christianity is not about keeping rules. Christianity is a story about God's rescue, but it's primarily a story about God. And children, in your outline, I made a specific children's outline for you. I'm going to give you some fill in the blanks here, children, so this would be the time to pull out your outline. You see, first of all, that the story about God is that God is eternal. It says in the fullness of time. That tells us that God operates outside of time, and that's very comforting to us because God is not bound by time or limited by the resources that exist in time and space. God is eternal, and the gospel story is about the eternal breaking in, breaking in to time and space. God is eternal, but God is also purposeful. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. This world may appear to be moving out of control, but God is in control, and at the right time, at the fullness of time, God sent forth a Son. God is purposeful. Not only is He eternal, He's purposeful, but He's also moral, and it says here that He sent forth His Son born under the law. The law was given to point us to heaven and to remind us how we are to live in the presence of God. But even the Ten Commandments for the people of Israel was a reminder that they're part of a bigger story. Each time that the Ten Commandments were repeated in the synagogue, it always began. they always began with the prologue of Exodus 20. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God who called you out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God, the Lord who called you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall make no graven images. I am the Lord your God. Each time that the law was read, was connected to this greater story that God has put forth. He's eternal, he's purposeful, he's moral, But he's also personal. You notice the text says that God saw our problem. God saw us in need. He came to us. He sent not a message. He sent a person. He sent not just any person. He sent his son, his best gift, to come into this world and to experience everything you experience. You might be wondering, in your hurt and your pain today, God, you don't understand. Why are you so distant? God is not distant. And He does understand because He's personal. He came into our world. He suffered more than any human has ever suffered. Born to a peasant woman, born into poverty. And He lived the life that you and I could not live. He's personal. He's eternal, He's purposeful, He's moral, He's personal. But why did He come? Because He's merciful. He sent forth His Son to redeem us. That's the story. It's our story. He sent forth Jesus to redeem us. Now if you've watched the movies The Lord of the Rings you've not met Tom Bobadil. But if you've read the book by J.R. Tolkien, you know who Tom Bombadil is. The hobbits on the way to destroy that evil ring find shelter in the house of Tom Bombadil. He's a mysterious character, and they don't know anything about him. He doesn't tell them much about himself. But he does ask about that ring. He knows that Frodo has that ring. He asks for the ring and he puts it on his finger, and Frodo is surprised that he doesn't disappear. And then Frodo gets the ring back, wondering if maybe the ring is not working, he puts it on his own finger, and when Frodo disappears, Tom Bobadil is there in the shadows, and he kept asking him the question, who are you, who are you? He never reveals who he is. In fact, Tolkien never revealed the story of Tom Bobadil. He left it as a mystery. Now, if you're a Tolkienite, like some, you've heard the stories that try to explain Tom Bobadil. The story is probably that J.R. Tolkien loved that story, The Lord of the Rings, so much. He wrote himself into the story. He wanted to be inside the story. And he wanted to remind even Frodo that there is someone who has more insight and more power than even he does. That's the Incarnation. The Incarnation is that God has written himself into the story. And though he's mysterious, and though we don't have every answer to many or most of the questions that we have in our life, we have enough answers The answer to why Jesus came to you, the answer that's proof in the outline that God's nature is eternal, purposeful, moral, personal, and merciful, it's the incarnation. That's the proof that there's joy to be found in the world because joy came into the world in the person of Jesus. Now, C.S. Lewis describes this incarnation in mere Christianity this way. It's actually the story of how the rightful king has landed to rescue all those who are enslaved. But it is a rescue in disguise. When Jesus came into the world, he came not to Rome, He came not to Alexandria, the great cities of the world. He came not to Jerusalem. It was Bethlehem. It was Ephrathah, Bethlehem, a very insignificant place. He came in disguise. God does his best work in disguise. In the most quiet places of our lives, in the most unsuspecting places. That's why we sing Christmas carols like, O Holy Night. It came upon a midnight clear, while shepherds watched their flocks at night. O little town of Bethlehem, those carols remind us the world is dark. And in disguise and under the cover of night, a light appears, a tiny light, a light of hope, a light of joy, a light of love, a Savior is born. It's a rescue operation for insignificant people to remind us that we're actually significant objects. That phrase, significant objects, is the title of a book. Joshua Glenn and Rob Walker in 2009 created an experiment. They bought hundreds of items off of eBay for less than a dollar. And they gathered all these hundreds of items, and they started a website called Significant Objects. And they hired many writers and journalists and novelists. They gave them a picture of each of these knickknacks. The total uh, that they purchased was $128 worth of junk. But they asked these writers, tell a story about each one of these significant objects? Well, not surprisingly, when those stories got out, they began to sell these knickknacks. They made over $3,900 from that $129 investment. Now, they made no improvement to these objects. What made them significant? They were attached to a story. They were attached to a story called significant objects. You see, that's the story of the gospel. We are insignificant in and of ourselves. We have nothing really to offer in the story. What makes us significant? God redeems us and the text tells us that he does that by ransoming us. That word there, redeemed, also could be translated ransom think of it this way there was a ransom that needed to be paid to redeem an insignificant object now who was this ransom to be paid to it was a ransom to the father his justice demanded perfection but in his mercy he sent the son so mercy was ransom to justice as Jesus came to pay for insignificant people, to make us significant objects. We were ransomed. And you have a new record. That's why you have joy this Christmas. When you wake up on Christmas Day, you should rejoice. When you wake up on December 26, you should rejoice. When you wake up every day, if you belong to Jesus, you should rejoice. Why? You have a new record. It's as if Tomorrow, if you were praying and you told the Lord to forgive you of your sin yesterday, in one realm or reality, it's as if the Father would say, What sin? I don't see any sin on your record. Now it is good and right for us to confess our sins, for us to agree with God, but I want you to know you have a new record. You've been ransomed you are a significant other. But also, you've been renewed. It says that the Holy Spirit has been sent into your heart. This means that your desire has changed. This is indication if you really are a Christian. I'll give you what Paul gives here, is an indication if you really belong to him. You find that you no longer run and hide from God. You run to him and you hide in His mercy. It's not that you cease from sinning, but the indication that the Holy Spirit is in your heart is the Holy Spirit will constantly remind you, you've been adopted, you belong to God, He is your Father. You no longer need to hide from Him. You no longer need to run from Him. You run and hide in His mercy. He renews us but also he restores us. It says that he'll make us heirs, heirs to God. This is speaking of the final chapter. If you read the book of Revelation, it talks about this scroll, which is the final chapter that's going to be unrolled. And John weeps because he says no one is worthy to unroll that scroll. And then this one Son of Man This lion from the tribe of Judah that is a lamb will come and he will unroll the scroll. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. No more sorrow. No more death. Jesus will make all things new. He will restore us. You are significant objects. You have been rescued ransomed, renewed, and you are being restored. J.I. Packer said that adoption in the Bible is more significant than justification. If it wasn't J.I. Packer that said that, I'm not sure I would have believed it. But he says that adoption is more significant. Why? Because it tells us the reason for the story. And the reason for the story is that God wanted a family. God wanted to share the joy of his love. I'll ask you this morning, do you know the love of the Savior? Well, how does this story spread? It's real simple. God lights a candle. In the heart of one person, God lights a candle. In the midst of a dark family, God saves a teenager. In the midst of a neighborhood, God changes the life of one person. How does God's light spread? He lifts up a community. I'll tell you this morning, if you're not a member of a community of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, I want you to know you're in trouble. If you're not actively involved in a community where brothers and sisters remind you that there is a light, that there is a hope, there is a future, you're in need for one. You need a family to point you to the Father and remind you, you cannot sustain light alone. You need the beauty of a family. We've seen that again this Advent what a beautiful family we have here. We laugh together. We worship together. We celebrate together. We cry together. And we walk together. And we will walk together until Jesus takes each one of us home. How beautiful it is to be a part of the family of God. That's why we sing joy to the world. That's why we sing, hark the herald angels sing. That's why we sing, go tell it on the mountain. Because he's ransomed us, we are not insignificant. He is renewing us. We have a father. He will restore us. Let's pray together. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust you more. Thank you for our new record. Thank you that we are your beloved family. Thank you that we have a future. Lord Jesus Christ, this Christmas, if there's anyone here that's running and hiding from you, shine your light. In your beautiful way. Come to them in disguise. Surprise them by your joy. And for all of us, Lord, in our hurts and sadness, show us how even in our grief, even in our sadness, there is a joy to be discovered. Show us your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.